how did it end last night? Oh, yes. With little did I know. Little did Penny know. Oh, what, what did Penny mean? What was the little that she knew? Well, we've got a costume parade coming up Maybe now, it was Stuart we? Little. Maybe Penny knows Stuart Little. <laughs> what was the little? Yeah, maybe that's the little. She's just, it's actually, this is going to be a direct you know, rip-off of the not, Evans vehicle. I have not thought about Stuart Little for a long time. Well, he often thinks about you, Heather. He often thinks about you. He's, <laughs> he's written a few he's times, a actually. He's a little fella. He, oh, he's a mouse. He's a mouse, isn't he? Well, Anyway, yeah. uh, enough about Stuart Little. Let's talk about Crimes at Cartwell. Welcome back. I'm Ferg. I'm Heather. We are new old friends. This is Crimes at Cartwell from Comedy Whodunits for your ears. Uh, so, yes, Penny and Perry have disappeared off to Cartwell Mountain. Anna, at the invitation of uh, Penny's old school friend Victoria, uh, and suspense is afoot. Yes. Yeah. Is it a foot? Is it a hand? Who knows? That's where the suspense is. Hands and feet. Hands and feet. Anyway, enjoy the costume parade. Episode two time. Oh, a ghost! My God! Brian! Penny! Come quickly! Come quickly! She's dead! When I invited Perry to join me at my friend's Halloween weekend party, he'd made me promise him I wouldn't leave him on his own. Well, we'd only been at Cartwell Manor for a few moments before that promise had been broken for me by Grenville, the butler, who swept Perry away to his room to change into his costume and ushered me into the parlour for drinks with the other ladies of the house. I felt a bit bad, but the feeling only lasted until the pretty maid handed me a pinkish-looking cocktail. Oh, thank you. Oh, phew, that is strong. What is that? It's called a Bloody Hell Mary, which is just like a normal Bloody Mary, except there's more vodka than tomato juice. As I caught my breath from the cocktail, I took in the jollity of the room. The windows had been decorated with fake cobwebs and crepe paper spiders hung from the grand ceilings. On the oak sideboard, candles burned in carved pumpkins. The all-female inhabitants of the room were gathered around the card table in one corner. My friend, Victoria, looked up when the door opened and shouted over to me. She was dressed like Count Dracula in a long black cloak, with a high stiff collar, the inside of which was blood red. Oh, Penny! Oh, Penny, you made it! Don't you look gorgeous? Quick, quick, get that down you and get over here. She's wonderful. I took another lung-tightening swig of my drink and skipped over to the gaggle of gaily dressed women. Alongside Victoria's vampire, there were two others, one wrapped in bandages, an Egyptian mummy, I presumed, and the other dressed sort of like a Victorian lady. I introduced myself to her and asked her who she'd come as. Oh, hello, I'm Saffron, Saffron Herbertson-Jones. I'm married to Walter, Walter Herbertson-Jones. I'm, I've, um, I've just come as a Victorian lady. That's a lie, Penny, interrupted Victoria. Saffy, you know that's a lie. She's come as the most terrifying woman she could think of. And who is that? I asked. Her mother-in-law. That isn't true, Vicky. It is. I certainly found her terrifying. <laughs> Victoria laughed heartedly at her own joke and drew from her cocktail. While Saffron didn't seem to find the joke amusing, I think perhaps there might have been a kernel of truth in it as her cheeks delicately coloured pink. At this point, the mummy seemed to lose patience and snapped. Look, are you done? The great Trianta was in the middle of reading my palm, if you don't mind. 
The miffed mummy waved her bandaged hand at a jumble of beads and fabrics piled on a chair, which, on closer inspection, turned out to contain a small woman with striking amber eyes. From within her swathes of bejeweled batik fabrics, the little woman, who I assume was the great Trianta, raised a delicate hand, the countless bangles on her wrist clinking musically. Ah! Do not be so much worried! But these two have had a go and I've waited my turn! She impatiently stamped her foot. She was less mummy and more spoiled child, the sort that still calls their mother mummy even when they're thirty. Victoria tried to calm her with a hand on her shoulder and waved for the maid to bring another cocktail. Oh, calm down, Charlotte, there's plenty of time. At the mention of time, the great Trianta snapped both her hands into the air, her middle fingers pressed to her thumbs. Time? What is time? Sand flows both rays through the hourglass, does it not? This mystical pronouncement produced such awe-filled coups from Victoria and Saffron, I realised I would need another cocktail to catch up. This Charlotte wasn't convinced, though. The sand only flows in one direction, to the past, and when it's gone, I'll have missed my chance. I will not miss my chance. But once it flows, do we not flip it over and watch it flow back? Again, a chorus of oohs from Saffron and Vicky, who had clearly had a fair amount of booze flow down their gullets. They'd want to be careful they didn't overindulge or it would be flowing right back. Charlotte's hand had been taken, carefully unwrapped from its bandage casing, and the great Trianta was pouring over her palms, spouting nonsense like, Yes! 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 A deep love line here has broken off too soon. I wasn't convinced by the great Trianta's performance. I've never really been one for supernatural. The natural is super enough for me. But she had clearly hit a nerve with Charlotte despite her trying to hide it. Deep love? Me? Broken off? Hardly. I said hardly, eh, girls? <laughs> love? <laughs> Very silly. Does it say anything about a reunion or retribution? The hands tell what is and what was. What will be? Well, that is in your hands. Are you saying you can't read my future in my palms? Then what is the point? Get your grubby mitts off me. Charlotte snatched her hand back as though from a hot stove. Your palms tell me all your possible futures. I cannot tell which path you will take any more than a vine knows which grape will rot, which will be stolen by the birds, or which will be made into wine, wine, wine. wine. I pulled Victoria to one side. Vicky, are you buying all of this? It's not like you. Of course not. It's nonsense, Penny, but nonsense can be fun. Besides, the great Trianter over there practically begged me to hire her for the weekend. Actually, hire is the wrong word. She's doing it for free. For free? Did she say why she wanted to be here? Oh, don't you know? Know what, Vicky? My friend's face had the shine of someone three cocktails in with designs on a fourth. Her mouth was twitching and her eyes glinting playfully. Carbrell Manor is haunted, Penny. Haunted. Is it? Of course it isn't. Or it wasn't. I have not lived here since... She trailed off and the internal illumination of her face dimmed, remembering Brian. But she gave her head a little shake and regained some of her previous sparkle. But apparently in the last few years there have been all sorts of reports of spooky goings on here. 
The great Trianta, along with her many other gifts, is a ghost hunter, and solving the mystery of Cartwell Manor would be quite a coup, so she tells me. I see. All total codswallop, of course, but I thought she'd make a delightful addition to the party. Speaking of which, what's the time? As Victoria was saying this, the gong rung out from the hallway. Ah, perfect. Ladies, it's time for the parade. Victoria led us all to the Great Hall, which had been decorated in a similar style to the parlour, but on a grander scale. There were flickering candles everywhere, their wax melting into bulbous, twisting shapes. Vicky had clearly put a lot of thought and effort into the weekend, and this costume parade was the official start of the festivities. Everyone had been handed a long cloak to cover their costumes with. It'll make the reveal more exciting! I think everyone felt a bit sheepish, shuffling into the grand candlelit hall. I glanced over at Perry, and his piercing blue eyes were filled with a mixture of embarrassment, fury and fear. The question burning in his stare was clear. Just what had I brought him to? He looked like a fearful initiate of some grand cult who didn't know what to expect from the ceremony. Was he to be expected to ravish some sacrificial offering, or was he the sacrifice? I flashed him one of my most calming smiles, but he rolled his eyes at me as he was shown to his seat by Grenville. You owe me one, Penny Girl. He hissed as we passed one another. I definitely caught a hint of some sort of booze on his breath, though, so at least he'd had a drink. If I thought the cloaks and the decorations had shown that Vicky had spared no expense on the theatricality of the event, what happened next was even more remarkable. Once we were all sat in our allocated seats, a great gust of cold wind rushed through the hall and all the candles were extinguished. Then a spotlight crashed on, illuminating Victoria, who had dropped her cloak to reveal herself in all her vampiric glory. Welcome, treasured friends, or should that be fiends, to Cartwell Manor's Halloween weekend, where your blood will be chilled as much as the crisp French white we're serving with the fish course. The time has come for you to reveal terrifying alter egos. Over to our master of ceremonies, Grenville. The light swung over to Grenville, who was dressed in his usual uniform. Oh, Grenville, you're not in costume. I think you'll find I am, ma'am. A voice I recognised as Charlotte, the moody mummy, cut through the darkness. What have you come as, Grenville? I'm covered in blasted bandages for this thing, and you just look like you always do. Like I always do. How very dare you. I've come as a petrifyingly poorly presented butler. This shirt isn't ironed, and, if you'll notice, I've clearly got a stain on my waistcoat. Ooh, scary! So, on with the introductions. First, we have the long-standing friend of the Cartwell family. I remember him running around the manor in his short trousers as a lad, but for this weekend he's been transformed into a hideously hairy beast of the night. Allow me to introduce Walter the Werewolf, Herbertson Jones. The beam of light swung from Grenville and landed on Perry, who managed to compose his features in a perfect reproduction of a rabbit in the headlights. Grenville shouted from the darkness. Well, that isn't Walter, is it, Minnie? To the left. Sorry, sir. There was a little grunt of effort from somewhere high up towards the end of the hall, and the light moved over to show Walter Herbertson Jones draped in a very convincing wolfskin costume with a wolf's head perched on top of his own. Good evening, all. What do we think of the... K 
costume. I could just make out Perry, who was next to him in the reflected light. He looked both appalled and impressed. That is very realistic. Thank you. It's actually made from a pair of real wolves. (laughs) Hunted the blighters down myself. That's not strictly true. Saffron had muttered to herself under her breath in the darkness, but her husband had clearly heard. What do you mean it's not true, Saffron? I shot them, didn't I? Did I imagine that? Did I? Did I? No, Walter, you didn't. Then what are you bleating on about? You didn't exactly hunt them, Walter. They were brought to you in a cage. Beside the point? Did I, or did I not, strike the killing blow? You did, Walter, but you didn't need to. I got you a very nice Jacob Marley costume from A Christmas Carol. Marley? With all those chains? Or I get to go mano a mano with two wolves? I think the choice was clear. We'll hear no more about it. Grenville, move on. Who's next? The parade moved on with Grenville introducing each of us in turn, and Minnie the maid doing an admirable job of keeping up with her spotlight. I'd already met Walter's wife, Saffron, in her Victorian ladies' get-up. I'd learned that Charlotte in the bandages had been at school with Walter and Brian, and that her surname was Blakemore. She'd been the Charlie young Terry Warner, Victoria's brother, was besotted with. Rounding out the group, I was thrilled to see that Terry himself was there, his wiry frame swamped in the outfit of a circus ringmaster. When Perry was unveiled in his bare-chested glory, there was a wolf whistle from somewhere in the shadows. I don't know who it was. It could have been Wolfman Walter for all I know, but for some reason I felt a little pride. He did look whistle-worthy in his risque outfit. Perry, of course, squirmed at the attention and quickly wrapped himself back in his cloak. My first impressions were that Walter and Charlotte might both be a bit abrasive, and Saffron was maybe a little wet. But all in all, it seemed a relatively benign bunch of people to spend the weekend with. Victoria had always been so much fun that if she'd invited them along, they were probably fun too. The first activity will begin once Minnie and I have relighted the candles. Ah, what have you got up your sleeve for us then, sis? We're bopping for apples. Bobbing for apples? Bit childish. How about a wager, chaps? One bob per bob, most apples collected wins the kitty. Walter, I don't think we need to gamble. I'm sorry. Did I say... Wife, can I make a friendly proposition to liven up the game? Did I? No, Walter, you didn't. Didn't think so. Now, who's in? Terry? I'm good for it. Why not? Excellent. Pink? Grenville and Minnie had made light work of returning the light, and I could see poor Perry was uncomfortable. Oh, um... What's the matter, Pink? Pink by name, pink by nature? Ha! It's only a couple of bob. Right, yes. Fine, of course. With that, Walter clapped his hands together gleefully and instructed Grenville to bring out the bucket for bobbing. Perry made his way over to me, looking pretty sorry for himself. Penny girl, what have you got me into? I'm the only one dressed up like a gigolo, and not only am I not getting paid, I'm actually about to have to pay for the privilege of being embarrassingly beaten at bobbing for apples. Oh, Perry, I don't think anyone other than Walter cares about who gets the most apples. It's just a bit of harmless fun. At that moment, Victoria left Saffron, who she'd been whispering with, and came over to Perry and I. I'm sorry about Walter. He's a bit of a hardhead. But he was Brian's closest friend, so I feel like I should keep inviting him. Don't worry. He's about to get his comeuppance. His comeuppance? How? Well, Walter likes to brag about everything. And last year, he was bragging about his prowess at apple bobbing, of all things. Is it even the sort of thing you can be good or bad at? Oh, yeah. It's no wonder Walter's good, though. Look at the size of his teeth. His part horse, from what Saffron has told me. Not the good part. 
Perry turned bright red. Oh, uh, uh, uh... Oh, calm down, Perry. You look as if you're about to explode. Women talk about these things, but you've nothing to worry about. What? Why? The how? Victoria shot me a look and laughed her head off at Perry's bewilderment. (laughs) I'm just jerking your chain, Perry. As far as I know, Penny is blissfully ignorant of your situation. Although your reaction does make me wonder. I, um, what? No, what? No, I really felt for Perry. His mouth was working away like a fish out of water, but not a sound came out. I placed a reassuring hand on his arm and brought Victoria back to her point. You were saying something about Walter getting his comeuppance, Vic. Oh yeah, just make sure you let him go first, Perry, okay? He swears by his technique. I mean, what kind of jackass has a technique for apple bobbin? Anyway, his technique is to open his mouth real wide and really get his teeth into the apple. It means he has to swallow a huge amount of water while he does it. And as a little twist, the apples today aren't in water. They're in port. (laughs) He'll get one hell of a surprise when he gets a gullet full of port. Just a bit of harmless fun, really. But should be good. Before Perry or I could protest at this little prank Victoria had laid on, Walter shouted over, removing both the opportunity and any desire to protect him. Are you three ladies joining us? Grenville has it ready. Yes, Pink. I did say three ladies. (laughs) That means you too. Come on. Victoria bounced over to the table where Grenville and Minnie had laid down some tea towels under and around a large old galvanised steel bathtub. The lighting in the room made it very easy to take the dark red liquid the apples were floating in as water. I had no doubt Victoria's plan would work. Perry and I exchanged a look and silently agreed to let it play out. You seem to be the expert, Walter, so why don't you show us how it's done? Gladly. Stand back, everyone. Things go a-flying when I go (laughs) a-bobbing. He removed his wolf's head hat to reveal his own mane of flowing blonde locks, which he swept back with his hand and tied in a short ponytail with a piece of ribbon. Then he stretched his arms wide to his side like a photograph of Christ the Redeemer I'd seen in a magazine whilst waiting at the dentist's. He took a deep breath through his nose and, as Victoria had said he would, opened his equine mouth wide. Then he rocked back slightly and threw his face down into the tub with great force. Oh my God, Walter! Yeah, zooks, man, that's impressive. A huge geezer of what I knew to be port flew up from the tub, sending liquid way beyond the tea towel perimeter set by Grenville. Thanks to Victoria's warning, I positioned myself behind a chair to protect my costume, which I'd only hired from hands. Others hadn't been so lucky. I think everyone must have had at least some splashing of the deep red fluid. Walter himself was drenched in it and came up gagging and gasping. Oh, dear God. Oh, that's not water. Jesus. A Halloween trick or treat, Walter. It's port. Port? Oh, God, I must have gulped down a full pint of the stuff. Look at me, Victoria. Look at me. My costume's ruined. It's okay, Walter. It'll wash out. But I'm soaking. Here, Saffron and Victoria exchanged a little glance, and Saffron's eyes glittered with an animation I'd not seen in her for the past hour or so. Well, isn't it lucky I brought that Jacob Marley costume with me? Just in case. You can go and get chained. I mean changed. After Walter huffily squelched off to his and Saffron's room to swap his costumes, 
We were sent to the parlour for another round of cocktails whilst the great Trianta put the finishing touches to the drawing room for her seance. To be perfectly honest with you, nobody, with the exception of Charlotte, was expecting anything more than a slightly spooky bit of entertainment. Like going to the theatre and seeing a really good production of Macbeth. Little did we know that the seance would be the start of something truly terrifying. Oh, I, he deserved it, I reckon. Yeah, I don't. I'm not digging him. I, I like his voice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, you yeah. like his voice? Yeah. Uh, I, can, I can see why. I also, I enjoy his, his wolfy costume. I think dedication to, that's what I would wear. It's not what It's I, pretty gruesome what I'm picturing in my head, yeah, actually. Yeah, I wouldn't wear it. it would be, I think it would smell. An apple bobbing with a, you know, a thing of port, a bucket of port. Oh, that's intense. Sounds like a good time to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're pregnant, so I've not been drinking out of solidarity. So this idea of burying my face in a bucket of port sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll find out what happens next tomorrow. Join us then. Oh, very nice. Oh, yes, Heather does, Heather's got a new gig playing the Count in Sesame Street. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Crimes at Cartwell is part of Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears, a New Old Friends production. It was performed and written by Heather Westwell and Fergus Woodstunnel, with editing, sound and music by Fred Riding. New Old Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in the production of Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. For more information, visit www.newoldfriends.co.uk.